Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we have Jeremiah Johnson. Yay! <laughs> Welcome, Welcome Jeremy. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm excited. Awesome. So, Jeremiah is a real estate investor hailing from what was it, Kansas? Well, he's actually, it's a full story we'll let uh, Jeremiah jump into, yeah. but uh, he is in Denver, I believe, but now investing in Wichita, Kansas. So, we'd love to hear a little bit more about um, your background and then we can start fast forward into what you're yeah. doing today. How'd you get started? So I, I was originally in medical device sales for several years and I'd always read books and kind of dabbled in rentals, but never really jumped in head first to real estate investing or flipping, but it was something that fascinated me. And um, I I was in an accident actually that kind of smashed up my leg. And so I had some time on the couch where I was healing because all the surgeries that I was undergoing. And during that time I got my real estate license and I studied a lot more um, about real estate. And, you know, as far as wealth building, actually I started following a guy out of California. His name is Matt Terrio. And um, I was listening to his podcast a lot and more uh, millionaires and billionaires are made out of real estate than any other profession or any other industry. Um, and because of that, I decided that that was something I should focus on. So, uh, I went to a weekend seminar in Denver. I I wasn't working yet and it was, um, put on by a hard money company there locally. And, uh, the couple that I ended up doing acquisition for, for several years were on the expert panel. And at the end of the day, you know, Hope raised her hand and she's like, and we're hiring, you know, if you're interested, let us know. And I went home, talked to my wife about it and it's like, you know, don't have another medical job yet. What, what do we have to lose? And so I sent my resume, the rest is history. And so I did acquisition for them, which was great training for several years. And last November I resigned and started, I went out on my own and have since been doing flipping and wholesaling and uh, bought several rentals too. That's Fantastic. I think good. that's an incredible point is that a lot of our listeners, they're, they're trying to find their entry in the real estate and there's already, they feel so many hurdles or so many reasons or blockers that they, they keep themselves from getting started. But for you, you, you even found a way almost backing yourself into it by finding a position with someone who's actually doing it and uh, been able to build yourself from ground up. So it just goes to show people you, you can start this in so many different ways. And especially when you first want to get started that, uh, you know, you going on to be an acquisition person, you had someone else guiding you uh, with what they're looking for and it's helped you now grow into your company. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome. And you know, I've talked with my wife about that. Like, you know, I was so lucky to have found them and she's like, yeah, you're lucky. Yes. And no, but she's like, you were the one that were on, you were on crutches, you know, going to that weekend seminar. Nobody forced you to do that. Like you, yeah. you kind of worked your way into that yeah. situation or found it, you know? So, cause I was definitely working on it. It's just, it, it is the, the, it's an intimidating thing, you know, cause it's, you're not trading small items, you know, jumping into houses is, if you've never done it can be pretty scary. 
So that, so that definitely helped you get over the fear factor. It did. Well, like I said, I had a few rentals, um, that I had acquired, but, um, I'd never really full fledged, you know, done flips or yeah. So it did because seeing other people that had done it or that were doing it actively and doing it well, um, you know, it was kind of, I, I don't want to, uh, if they can do what I can too, <laughs> you know? no, it's, uh, we hear that from a lot of people. Yeah. But, I yeah, mean, it really is. It, way. It, yeah. It illustrated to me like, well, this isn't rocket science. Like I can really, I can do this. <laughs> there's just, there's a, there's yeah. a system you can follow and you can do it and do it well. I mean, because we're both, we're all a part of a mastermind and that's sort of the, the thought process be, behind like our mentors. Like if they can do it, we can do it too. For sure. It's That's a huge great. confidence builder. Yeah. yeah. And, and well, and that and surrounding yourself with other people that are doing it is yeah. also, you know, it helps. The energy's you. right, right? So you put everybody else around you. Now you have other people that are, have already done it. So now you're not so scared. There, there's like, you, you can see further down the road. So lots of times people get stuck at that point while they, they find every fear blocker possible before, before. And so they were just, it would just, it, that will never happen out there, but that'll be all the reasons that they won't actually start. You know, like, what if I buy a house and it burns down? Yep. Uh, well, I, well, then that will happen. But, but has it happened? No. Have you bought a house? No. So let's not set up 25 things for why you can't do it. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's awesome. That's a great point. So this is a, I'm going to rephrase this question for you because it's, it's, it's going back to what we're talking about, the fear factor. So you were actually working for a couple and you were working for them for three and a half years. What was the... I guess the aha moment when you were like, okay, I can do this on my own. What made you take that step? I went to an event in California where I met Jason. Mm -hmm. We went to flip hacking. And um, so there were two, two prongs to this. One is I've always had the confidence after I really had a, a good enough knowledge base that I could do it. But my significant other, my wife, um, I wouldn't say she wasn't behind it, but you know, she didn't have all the knowledge that I had. And so it was also very scary for her because, um, she's a, an awesome partner and she stays home with the kids. And so if my income is gone, then that's a, Ooh, you know, <laughs> that, that was a big, big leap of faith or a big jump for her. And when she went to the event with me and got to go through all the education, um, it, changed her mind or, you know, got her on board. She was like, we just need to do this. Wait, it's, nice. it's, it's time. So, um, for me, a lot of it was getting my, uh, my partner on board too. You know, my spouse, my Heather has backed me a hundred percent away, which is awesome. Yay, Heather. <laughs> yeah. Completely see eye to eye with, with Heather on that because, um, especially when Jason decided to get into multifamilies, yeah. I was like, okay, go ahead but my brain's not wrapping around that. And so yeah. it wasn't until he actually closed his first deal that I was like, okay, this is we, uh, 94 units. Awesome. Uh, right. so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, so it can be done. It's not, it's not yeah. like something you just read in a book. Yeah. So like take, bringing your wife, bringing your partner. I mean, I think that's a great way to like take the jump, especially if you're already, already doing it and already like, like geared up to do it like even having her be behind you i mean that was key it sounds like well it's probably a huge thought that you, you actually brought her out to an event where it can show so many other people that are putting together systems and that that you're not just 
tossing darts at the wall and mm-hmm. hoping is that you, you have a plan of action. And, uh, that always helps too. Cause, uh, I, I, I know that you're surrounded with all with people in your life and, you know, family, friends and everybody else. And then you come up with an idea, I'm going to go do real estate. And you've already at least been successfully doing it with uh, part of the other group. Uh, but they're always going to find a lot of reasons not to. So if you can show them that the format's there, it, it makes your path a lot longer, especially when you have your wife on board and that that's really your trigger. So that's awesome. Cool. So tell us a little bit about fast forwarding to where you are now. Cause you are, you were in Denver before, uh, and that's where you were doing all, all the acquisition work. Now you've moved out of state. Give us a little, uh, feedback on that. Yeah. So we, um, decided to pick, uh, Denver is a highly competitive, extremely explosive market. Um, and the price point is pretty high. So, uh, starting out, I, I decided that it would be a good idea, um, to start in a, more of a B or a C market, you know, um, less barrier to entry from a marketing perspective or the houses don't cost as much. So, you know, to me, there's still risk, but the perceived risk was lower. Um, in addition, if you look at the market trends, Denver's on about a 14 year peak to peak or trough to trough, and we've blown right past that peak. So who knows what's going to happen? I think it's going to continue for a while, but, um, Wichita, where I grew up right outside of Wichita, is a smaller town. It's it's a it's a aircraft industrial town for the most part, pretty blue collar. And if you look at the, the market trends for like 2007, 2008, it wasn't the you know, the cliff mm-hmm. and then, you know, it hasn't shot back up. It was it's more of a speed bump. And so I wouldn't say it's recession prone or proof, I guess, but um it, it was less uh, cyclical or less extreme, if you will. Yeah. And, um, you know, the average or the median price point here is about 159 versus, you know, 275 in Denver. And I think that's actually probably higher now since I was working there. Um, just in the last, you know, it's just going up like crazy, you know? And so that was why we picked it. And, uh, so I had, proximity to family. And then it, you know, was less extreme in terms of the price undulations. And then also I think uh, the price point was lower. And like here, our, our, our spend on pay-per-click or marketing, you know, it's 600,000 people versus 4 million. And so, um, it made it a lot easier to test market and figure out our systems before we go after a, um, a, a tier one market. If we decide to do that. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. may just stay in the, in the B or C markets. Cause it seems to be working pretty well. And I think that's a great point. Cause you, you push out. I was just, I was just going to ask that you're having such success here. Why would you push to the T to the tier uh, one market? When, if you have this model that's working with the BC, um, so you're familiar with it. You have family there, you know, you, you grew up in the area and you, you've been there. If other people are in a highly competitive market, you talked about a few things that, that quote unquote, made a market recession proof any any more feedback on how people can identify a market that may be good for them i don't know about proof Proof. yeah i don't know proof. yeah it's the wrong word so no words recession proof but with some where they'll say insulated where we're not gonna get those peaks and valleys that are that are pushing off a cliff and then and then like uh miami where you're up 35 percent and then you're down 40 percent or vegas where where you're jumping through the moon right yeah. Well, I just, I looked at the the trends, you know, um, with the real estate commission here locally and then the census data and population has been really slowly increasing. And, 
industry is pretty stable um, where it's at. It, they do, you know, it's aircraft, so it, it does fluctuate with the economy. But, um, you know, that's how I did it. And, you know, as far as other markets, I don't want to tip our hand, but <laughs> have our next three, um, you know, at least identified where we, we think we want to scale into. That's great. Yeah, well, for our listeners out there, I mean, really think about what Jeremiah just said. When you're looking for your market, you don't necessarily, number one, you don't necessarily have to be in the market that you live in. Um, no. And number two, when you're researching your market, I mean, just do that research. Look at the market, look at the market trends, talk to realtors, talk to people that are in the market. I mean, you'll be surprised. You think that people are very, very like, I don't know, keep their information close to heart, but things like that, like most investors will like sit down with you if you're, if you're really, truly looking for it. Um, go to your real meetings. Yeah. Talk. Well, you know, getting started here, Facebook was a really big tool um, because I started posting a lot of our our properties mm-hmm. here and um, building our buyers list via Facebook. And I found because um, you know, even though I had family here, I didn't know the market and I didn't have contacts, and so I've had to build my team mm-hmm. uh, here. With uh, we've got a really uh, close, pretty I'd call it a strategic alliance with a realtor. We, he, he's also a, a flipper and he does a lot of our comps for our acquisition folks. So we have, I, they run their own and he runs them. So we have parallel comping. So we have an idea that we're either way off or right on our values. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, found him via Facebook and he's been a great customer and also a, a pretty good alliance to have. And same thing with contractors and property managers, you know, all those people are crucial in this type of business, at least in my opinion. And, you know, so that was one of the things that we, you know, I really use Facebook a lot to network and find a lot of those folks because people want to help. Yeah. Nice. So you just kind of answered my next question, which was going to be, how did you build out your team since you're not on the ground there? But it sounds like you did a lot of your, I guess, leg work on Facebook mm-hmm. and word of mouth. Yeah. And the local real estate group here um, that, that those are kind of, they have their own private group. And so I, you can post stuff on there and it's, it's about 2000 people um, and everybody's pretty helpful. So it's been, um, a pretty invaluable tool Facebook has. And then I, you know, I travel back here. I'm not going to say I've done it all virtually because, um, I'm here right now. Um, <laughs> in Kansas. And what the, my whole family's here cause the kids right before they go back to school are, uh, spending time with grandma and grandpa, but, nice. um, yeah, it, it, I've, I've commuted, you know, quite a lot and I don't know how, I mean, I'm sure people do it hundred percent virtually, but if you're flipping and wholesaling and taking down rentals, I, you know, at least stuff that I'm buying, I want to see it, you know, not, not necessarily to flip, but if I'm holding it, you know, I kind of want to walk through yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, not, it's not like you're investing in stocks where it's like some magical number for yeah. some company that exists somewhere. Um, like that's why you get into real estate because you have something real to hold on to. So why not take a look at it? No, that's smart. What does yeah. your team look like now? Yeah, director. I saw so I have a property manager, a realtor partner um, for comps and then he flips a lot. He doesn't want to be a listing agent. We've got listing agents that we refer everything to. So, um, you know, since we're not realtors, they pay us a marketing fee for, um, leads that we funnel to them that they list and sell. 
That's great. So we, we basically are like a Zillow in that, you know, we do a lot of direct marketing. And when people come into us that aren't a good fit for our model, then we refer them to the realtors for a marketing fee. That's you know, um, and then internally we have two acquisition managers, uh, just hired a lead manager and looking at, uh, transaction coordinator too. And then I title company is something I didn't mention. You really need to find, we've been, we've kind of had to go through a few to find one that was wanted to be a kind of partner because they can really make your life easier way easier or harder, you know, when you're doing high volume transactions, which, you know, six to 10 a month to me seems pretty high volume, but that's my experience. And so, um, if they, they, like I said, they can make your life easier, harder, if they delay title work or if they're on it, or if they, they catch errors for you and they've got your back. So that's kind of what the, you know, direct employees are it's for. That's great. That's that's funny because we're also uh, we're also in the market for a new title company. Yeah, we've been on the uh, the the plus and minus of of that side. So so yeah, yeah it's definitely new title company, case. new lawyers. <laughs> Don't tell our lawyers if you're sorry, lawyers, if you're listening to this. They're watching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so tell us. Yeah, we we have a lawyer too. We have a couple of them actually for different things. Yeah. So your day to day, tell us a little bit more about your flips. Are you, are you looking to take on projects that are you know, mainly first time home buyer? Uh, what kind of flips do you like to get into? Or are you basically just cleaning it up and trying to put in? Is it a mix of everything? Are you looking for more aggressive flips where you're adding square footage? Uh, give us a little bit more about where you like to focus. We haven't done any additions, so no square footage additions yet. Um, but we've done everything from just a carpet and paint quick one. I actually did a hotel on a mobile home that we didn't even put carpet or paint in, um, that I was just blown away, but it was on acreage and it had a huge barn and that in this market is desirable. So, um, so anything from wholetailing, which, you know, just basically clean it and stick a sign in the yard to, um, there's one we're doing right now that it's a, which for here is a pretty high ARV. It's 205. And, um, it's a brick ranch. The gentleman was in his nineties and it's pretty much circa 1960, you know, it hasn't wow. been touched. And so it's, we're raising the roof on the garage. So that is, it's not square footage, but structural change. And then it's a complete, you know, HVAC, electric plumbing. It's, a, cut. it's yeah. a full remodel, you know, but we got it from a, a probate lead. So it's kind of a gamut really, as far as what we're doing in terms of flips, no new construction, um, but we're, we're dabbling in a new strategy in the, in August, we've got six properties going to auction, which that could oh. be interesting. Yeah. So we, um, we found a, a local auction house that would let us, if we have, we had to do an addendum and batteries about ready to die. Hang on. Um, we had to do an addendum to where they gave us express permission to list, list on the MLS or market, even take the auction. And it, it says that they sign it. And so, um, these have been houses that we weren't able to flip in the past. Either they were too thin or, you know, houses under $50,000, which we run into a lot of them here in Wichita prior to running into the auction strategy. I haven't been able to do anything. We haven't been able to do because they're just so plentiful that, you know, you can't really mark them up. There's so much price compression at 50,000. You know, a kitchen is, you know, 10 or 15 and bathroom is three to five. And so, you know, that's what, 
20% of your budget or 20% of the ARV right there, you know, just in two rooms. So we haven't done it. We haven't touched them. And so if we buy them, you know, inexpensively enough, we can, we're, we're hoping we're putting them in an auction and, and we'll see how that goes. Oh, that's great. How did you, how did you come upon that? Did you, did you just had that and just something that clicked your mind? So let me, let me search this out or. No, no, it was an accident. Um, I went to the auction thinking I was going to bid on a few properties. So they have, it's six times a year here. They have a multi-property auction for investors. And so I went and looked at like 30 houses in one day of 45 and I had my sheet and I was writing all the values down and I went to the auction that night and I had my, you know, my number ready to bid and I was out in like the first three to five minutes on every single property I was going wow. to because they just, you know, and, uh, so then what was an acquisition strategy, um, may have evolved into what could be a pretty good disposition strategy, but we'll, we'll see. Huh, that's yeah, incredible. Def- we definitely wanted to, want to find out how that, how that works. Cause I, I mean, we're, we're looking for work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, looking at the numbers from the last auction, that's the thing is I only have one data set because Kansas is a non-disclosure state. Once something sells, that's, I mean, there's no published data as far as what sales prices were and that stinks, you know, really it's, it's harder to pull comps and it's harder to really look at historic data because they just don't share it. So, um, you know, that, that, what I have is what I saw, you know, nice. I'm just write, writing down the numbers. So, you know, it was in June. So maybe it was the highest auction of the year, you know, because it was summer. I we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear about yeah, that's great, uh, how all your properties sell and uh, what the profit margins are on these. That's awesome. If you can get like, get into these properties that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to turn otherwise. Well, the way I did the math is if we can do f- just 5k on each of them, you know, and we're doing six, six in August. Um, and the auction happens six times a year. That's an additional $180,000 a year in revenue. That's amazing. That you wouldn't have had otherwise. That's awesome. Left, you know, in the database, basically. There's something, another key point for our listeners. I mean, always be looking out for different ways to turn your properties. You might not, you know, whether or not you go to auction, whether or not you try and put them on the MLS, whether, I mean, these are all awesome options. Like, thank you. Thank yeah. You. We were talking about this. This is like the pivot where, where the market's constantly going to change. And if you're not changing with the market, or at least adjusting with the market, you're going to get stuck behind. If you're just, yeah. if you're stubborn and just saying, I'm just going to do this one thing. So that's cool. I, I'm really psyched to see how that works out. That's incredible. Yeah. I, three weeks. Three weeks. <laughs> there we go. That's it. I'm back in touch. So you've been now in Kansas for how long have you been? Six in- months. Six months. Wow. Seven. Seven. We started in January, really. Now, tell us uh, some projections. Like, how do you, how was your focus? How's your year shaping up? What, what kind of volume are you looking to do as you grow into the market? We will do over 100 transactions this year. Amazing. Boom. Amazing. Yeah. That's so that's amazing. pretty fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, our uh, average wholesale has been, I, I, when we entered, I, I really wanted it to be, uh, I was thinking 7,500 was a good benchmark, mm-hmm. you know, whereas Denver was way higher. Um, and, but, you know, the cost per lead is way higher. And so I was thinking that was a good good spot to be. We've been a little higher than that. And, um, you know, the, the bulk of the transactions that we 
done, we, we've done probably 60% wholesale, 20% flip. And then I've, I've bought quite a few actually to hold too. So, um, yeah. And the other area that we're really, really strongly looking at and is, uh, seller finance because we haven't, have you guys done that? I have not. Not yet, no. but we have looked at it. Yeah. So this market's perfect for it because, you know, the average price point of, of 150, there's a lot of 120 and below. And we're able to get a lot of subject twos and we're able to get a lot of seller finance properties. And so you can turn around and that takes the private money out of it and then resell those, you know, flip them a little bit and, and resell them on a note. And so, um, and I'm really wanting to pursue that strategy because I, I can see how that would um, really be a nice passive income stream. And having had rentals and toilets and tenants, not having the toilets and tenants yeah. also sounds pretty darn appealing. <laughs> like not having to worry about that, but still getting the still getting the revenue stream. Well, it sounds like you're like you're delving into all sorts of different ways to expand and grow your business. Um, but to take it to another aspect of the business, what would you say was the so far has been the biggest like setback? I don't want to say the word failure, but learning Learning experience experience that you could share with our listeners, something that they could learn from. Since ramping up your business yourself, that that's maybe been a hurdle and how you've gotten past that. Oh gosh, (laughs) that's a big question. Yeah. Diving deep, diving deep. You know, um, there, you know, as far as big learning, it's, um, probably it's not as much a setback as just trust the process, you know, because I, um, you know, listening to all the podcasts and reading all the books and, and having, even having experience working for somebody else, I, I still had pretty big doubt and fear, um, in the back of my mind up until the point where we pulled the trigger and, I would say that was the biggest, um, obstacle for us, you know, it was, was a perceived obstacle that probably wasn't really there, you know, because having done it now, um, I know it's, it's totally doable. And, um, if, uh, if we wouldn't have, you know, if I would have stayed behind that cloak of fear, I would still be, you know, um, either working for somebody else or who knows, you know, and, um, you know, so that was a, that was a big aha, but I will tell you something that I was really reluctant to pay for an appraisal on properties that we were buying. Mm-hmm. And I, I posted on the group about this, that eight plex, um, it's a multifamily and we had it under contract for one fifty, and the rent, it rents for 3,200 a month. It's eight units. And that's, uh, not, you know, for one fifty, I was like, that's, it seems like a no brainer. It's a great deal. Um, but I still made the contract subject to appraisal and I almost didn't go through with it because it was $2,000 for the appraisal. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, God, that's a lot, you know, for just, yeah. just eight units, $2,000 and I'm buying it for one. Why do I need an appraisal? The cash flow is there, but I did it and it came back at one Oh five. And mm-hmm. so we were 45 upside down above retail so we close on it Tuesday for 85,000. Nice. Yep. So that $2,000 appraisal, you know, for you. 
Yeah. Yep. Saved me $65,000 wow. in money that I would have spent. So, um, that was a big, <laughs> yep. like, I will never skimp on that ever. I, I would love go. to know. Ooh. So, so you're, you're at 150, right? So, so I guess a point would be uh, maybe a good learning experience would be how did that negotiation process go after you got that appraisal back that you were able to go back and get it at, at 80? Uh, where you just bring the appraisal back and say, this is just the numbers we've come up with. And this, this is what's actual, actual numbers here. We need to have this reduction or how did that go with the seller? Uh, well, we walk them through costs of a transaction. Yep. You know um, what they're going to net if they sell with a realtor. And so we had this closing date and she wanted the closing date and um so, you know, so here's the appraisal and the, the contract was subject to appraisal. We're sorry. We didn't, we didn't come up with this figure. This is where it's at. If we'll either bail on the contract right now, cause this is our out or, you know, 105 minus your commissions, minus your closing costs, minus what it's going to cost you in inspection repairs and possible turnover. You know, here's all the numbers that you can back out of that. And there was one unit that needed rent ready. And so that was also in there you know, we'll go ahead and take it for the 85 now and we'll close next Tuesday like we were planning on, or, you know, you can, you can take it to the market. And that was pretty much the discussion. And it's incredible. I'm, I was, I was blown away that she said, okay. Yeah. Nice. You know, but it wasn't us. We, you know, my stationery was not on that appraisal and yeah. it, you know, she's got to live with that actually for 12 months because it's an appraisal and yeah. she could get a second opinion. And technically because we ordered it, she doesn't have to accept it. She could get her own independent, but, um, she said, yes. So yeah. she wanted out. You had yeah. that motivation. You, she had a time frame, and the time frame was more important for whatever was her personal reasons than actually trying to wait it out and find a better number. So awesome. That's amazing. Almost a 50% price reduction. Wow. You know, I mean, like yeah. that. And, and if I almost didn't spend the money, <laughs> yeah. great lessons. Wow. Great lesson. Wow. Yeah. $65,000. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Wow. For two. Awesome. Yeah. So we always talk about failures. We like to compliment that on why are you actually doing this? What is your big why? So you, you put on this effort, you have all, so much risk in your mind and so many uncertainties, but what is the big why, why you, you chose this path? So, Go back to that last question real quick. There is one failure. We bought a house in December that somebody was um, killed at. Oh. Huh. We didn't know it, actually, when we bought it. The affidavit came out from the court after we were already owners. Um, but we did know that the people that sold it to us were the people that perpetrated the crime. We just didn't know what happened at the house. Um, and so I would recommend that don't buy a stigma house. We, we did, unless you're going to hold it for a long time and rent it. Yeah. Um, it's still on the books and we're now paying to rehab and sell that house. So hindsight being 2020, that was, that's our biggest failure to date on the books is that, um, I am now, I mean, we're losing money. Basically we're paying to rehab that house. We're paying to sell it to somebody else. Yeah. And, um, that stinks, you know, yeah. and it was the first one we did. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, but it it will sell a good story. <laughs> well, that, it, it complements with you, exactly. you, you say this is that okay? Now you're you're 
you've still pushed forward. So yeah. the, you know, you move in a new market, you have all this uncertainty, you buy a house, it's a, it's a problem. And you just say, okay, that happened. And it doesn't sound so much as going. a failure yeah. as in you found out about this afterwards and now like you're not failing at it because you are doing something about it. Yeah. You adjust. That's yeah. Right. You're adjusting. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's the way to go. Yeah. Great lesson. Yeah, so we just were aggressively dropping price until, so we just want to stop the bleeding, you know, yeah. <laughs> just get enough the books. But, yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. So, so that was, I, that was a big, I, I wouldn't buy another stigma home, you know, cause I mean, you just think about somebody got yeah. tortured there, you know, and, uh, you know, buying it, kids are mean. They talk, you know, you live in the torture house. I could just see it. And yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was a big, that was a learning experience and it still is today because <laughs> we still have it. Oh no. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if there, you know, if any of our listeners out there have an idea for, for Jeremiah or anybody, please leave us a note as to what you would do, like for a stigma house, like how would you unstigmatize it if it's even possible? Um, but back to the question. So what is your big, why, why do you do this? So, you know what, it's kind of, it's evolved because I have been extremely busy for this last six months, as I know you guys are. And my why originally was financial. You know, I want the financial freedom and I want to be able to um, do the things I want to do. And that was really why I thought that I, I wanted it. And um, that has evolved. Um, well, of course, in my family, you know, I want to provide for my family and I love my, my wife, and my kids and, but that goes back to the financial, but now having started this, um, it is really, really busy. And the, the end goal, um, cause I can see now that the financial piece is it's, it's coming, you know, I mean, we're six months in, we're not, we're not done by any means, but I can definitely see light at the end of the tunnel, that it won't be the issue or the, you know, the, the motivating factor in the future. And now, um, for me, it's to, create a, a framework or a business that will give me the freedom to spend more time with the friends and family and doing the things that I really like to do. Because um, I don't know that there's any other job you can have that gives you the opportunity to have that type of freedom. And for, for me, I've really gotten to the point, like once we reach a point of, you know, a passive income where we don't, um, need to work necessarily, uh, from a financial perspective, I don't know that I'll continue to just want to grind it. Like I am, I, like I might want to take a, a three month vacation and take the kids and go to the beach. You know, that to me sounds a lot more important than money now. Um, but you know, and I don't, I don't see that changing actually. So that, that, that motivation could evolve the why could change, you know, cause I, I think I'd like to help other people because, um, you know, like you guys are doing with your podcast and maybe doing some education in the future and helping other people to learn how to set themselves free. Cause I, I can see that it, it really will work, but my why is, is more of a, a bigger picture now. And, um, you know, friends and family and, and freedom more so than financial family and freedom. Yeah. So that's a good why. Yeah. It's a great point. Cause it, a lot of us, we, we jump in this point looking for that freedom to be able to have our own business, but we find ourselves 
that there's no turnoff. So you, right. you almost just now you've created yourself a job and the job is now five or six times more work than you were doing previously. And this was yeah. the whole reason to get out of that. So when you set that framework, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not there yet. Yeah. I'm but not, you, but on you have mentally in your mind that that's where you want to go. Cause sometimes people just get so, they're just so in it. And I've been in it with my business. We're just so in it. You can't realize that, like that you're doing this, but you're, you're not actually getting to the, the bigger picture. Yeah. And it's, yeah. yeah, that's great. That's cool. Yeah. I know. I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. It's like you're grinding and you're doing it every day, but then you realize, yeah. Oh, like, I didn't see my kids all day or, you know, I just, I got to like give them a kiss goodnight. You know, I, I understand. I, I understand completely where you're coming from. That's, that's, that's happening oh, right now. So. <laughs> so you're six months in, you're having huge action going on in your business. Where do you see this business going in five years? Where, what's their carry through? <laughs> That's a good question. And so we've, I'm kind of looking at a couple different things and you know, lots of people have these types of businesses and are very, very successful. And so there, we were thinking, um, maybe systematize and franchise in B markets. Interesting. Yeah. I think we have a pretty catchy name with friendly home buyer and yeah. You know, if you can build the systems that, you know, because I think that finding entrepreneurs that want to franchise is probably more, um, that's something that's duplicatable. You know, you can find people for a lot of people want to buy franchises and a lot of people want to be in real estate. So there may be some special sauce there. Mm-hmm. Um, either that or um, that that's just one thing because I know going into a satellite market now, it's hard, you know, because I live in Denver and I'm working here. And I think if we get that cracked, which we're working on it, um, then we could do two or three more markets. And, um, you know, so the franchise piece just kind of came up in the last couple of months of like, would that even work? Because I know that there are some other guru type people that have done some 800 numbers and that have tried to do that. And I don't think it's recreating yourself is hard, you know? And so it really would have to be buttoned up really tightly to where this is, you know, if you're going to do this, then if you have an if then chart for pretty much everything. And I don't know if that'll work or not, but, um, definitely two or three more markets. And like I said, we've got them picked out. It just, I, I was aggressively wanting three markets in three years. And now that we're at month seven on market number one, I think I'm going to go deeper rather than wider. Um, yeah. Here. And once, once we have all the pieces in place and the machine is oiled, um, then I think it would be okay to start looking at a secondary market. But right now we're, we're still, you know, it's like we jumped off of a building or building the airplane on the way down. I've heard a lot of people say that. And that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, I understand. And, well, you have a, you, and you're, you're like, you have the wings maybe, but you're still flapping them yourself. I really like the multifamily stuff. Because one thing you said in Detroit, you know, we've got how many doors and we've got three roofs or four roofs. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, that really makes sense. You know, like, the economy is a scale there. So, um, that's also another area that I'd like to pursue. We like it a lot just that you can afford a staff 
And so I, I can pay to have the staff on site. And so with this, and I'm also paying a less percentage for management. So if I have to have, you know, if I got 10 toilets that are broke in 10 single family homes, I got a guy who I got to hire to run around the 10 houses where everything can just stay in house. And that some of the economies of scale start to start to really help for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole lending thing is different too, right? They loan on the asset, not on the person then at that point. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, actually the bigger you go, the easier it gets based on, based on vacancy. You know, a lot of, a lot of the agency wants you to be, um, at least 90%. So if you have, you know, uh, 10 plex, that's only, you know, one person, but if you have, um, you know, a hundred units, it, you would have, you'd have to have 10 people vacant consistently to really have some struggles going possibly with, uh, your debt structure for that type of debt. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of different ways you can play it, but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. And I like, uh, hearing about your market. Cause that, that sounds like a market that we like to focus on, you know, BC markets, uh, have, Population growth that's steady, no big spikes, has job creation, has job diversity. So yeah, that sounds like uh, something we actually would be looking for with Wichita. So very interesting. Well, it sounds like yeah. all of your end games, all of your goals are very, very reachable and have like, like for instance, what you said about franchising. I mean, that goes into like helping other people get into the business. I mean, if you have this proven model for people, for other investors to like jump into, I mean, why not? Why not yeah. do that? I mean, you can think yeah. of it as you're helping people get into get into these markets that you know they normally wouldn't necessarily. Do you guys think that would work? I think it might. You think of everything that you've done to get. I mean, it's it's a lot to wrap your head around. I don't know that a manual. You know, it's, I don't. I don't think a manual would cover it. But yeah. if, if you think about it, like if you're if you package it in a way that it's sort of an educational platform that also will start your business. So you say these are the manuals. I'm on call for you to, you know, call me if you need help, but like this is what you have to do A, B, C, D, E, and F. G. But then like you need to tailor it to your own market. I mean, there's so much you'd have to think about. Um okay. Yeah, because there's a lot of market-driven yeah. uniqueness to different states, and yeah. but it can become a safety blanket too for people. And yeah. that that like that's a good thing about the franchise model is they they set up a form. I, I keep trying to convince people that I, I love the franchise model. I want to do a, a donut franchise right now, and just but I I get very. I got lights going everywhere. So I stop. but, but for this, <laughs> yeah, so, but, but if you have this set up, it gives people a, a reason that they can get started because yeah. people will find, you know, so many different ways. Oh, I don't have a website or I don't, you know, I don't have right. a, I don't have a business card. I don't have a logo. You know, I, you know, I don't know how to talk to people and at least would help them have a framework that they can, they can at least reference back and help them to position themselves to, to take that step. And we all know that, taking that first step is the hardest thing. Once you take that first step, you go, oh, okay, that wasn't that bad. Yeah. Okay. So now we can take another one and, and really would really get them out of the gate. We would love to, to combo that with our next question here is that if you had one piece of advice that you would love to give people here that, that have been thinking about this and have been on the sideline for, for whatever amount of time, what would be something that would be an actual step they could take today to, to get themselves moving with the process of, of investing in real estate? Hmm. An actionable step. Got you on the, on the platform now. Yeah, that, that's a. 
That's a big one. Um, you know what? If they've not ever done anything, I would find a local realtor and go look at 15 houses. That's great. Nice. That's great. Go look at 15 HUD houses and maybe see if they can find a contractor to go with them and put together some budgets, just rough budgets on 10 or 15 houses and then come up with their offers and submit them. Yeah. And then you got the ability to say no. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome answer. Yeah, that's great. That's actually great. You could do that today. If you're listening to this, you could get out there, find a realtor, go see 15 houses, have a, have a contract and meet you, get repair budgets, put in offers. And with you putting that offers, it doesn't mean you have to take the house. If someone says yes, maybe you got a great deal. So, so even helps you even more, but you can get to the point where you've taken an actual step and that's going to help you down. Uh, That was awesome. That's perfect. Great answer. Um, so before we leave you, um, what are some words to live by? Gosh, you guys, these are hard questions. (laughs) (laughs) We Um, save it all for the end. Um, man, I have fun at what you're doing. Nice. If you're not, you should probably do something else. (laughs) Good. That's good. Great words to live by. Have fun. That's perfect. Um, yeah, if you're not enjoying yourself, then it's probably not the right fit. Yeah. No, that's, that's completely, completely right. If you're not having fun, yeah. you're not enjoying what you're doing, do something else. It's, it's not worth it. Life's too short, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, before we let, we let you go, if uh, there was a place that you could send people to, they could find a little bit more about you, or maybe uh, if you're looking to build out your buyers list, some people in your market, uh, give us a place so that people can find you. Or friendlyhomebuyer.com. That's our, our uh, website for motivated sellers. And then Wichita Wholesale Houses is um, our wholesale site. That's great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so very much, Thanks, Um If you don't have anything else to share with us, some words of wisdom, um, we're going <laughs> to sign off. <laughs> More words of wisdom. I'm good there. Yeah. Thank you for your time. I appreciate this. This is fun. Yeah, yeah, we great. appreciate you being on. We're so grateful to yeah. have you. So again, this is the REI Foundation with Jason and Peely. Thank you again so much, Jeremiah. So grateful to have you on and so grateful for our listeners for being here. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Peely here from the REI Foundation podcast. Looking to rev up your wholesaling or house flipping business? Go now to houseflippinghq.com. Jason and I are part of a house flipping family, a community created by Justin Williams. Would we be where we are without him and without his community and his mentors? Probably not. Justin and his team basically handed us personalized shortcuts and exact strategies that have made us explode in today's market. So if you're looking to take the next step Go to houseflippinghq.com right now. Again, this is Peely from the REI Foundation podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we are so grateful for you. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.